Okay, we are in the series 1 to 12, and it uh, was given that title because, uh, first of all, we're in John chapters 1 through 12, but then also we think of the one, the only one, Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our Healer. And so 1 to 12, he passed things on from the Father to his disciples, and that discipleship movement has continued right to us today, and so we are here to learn from Jesus this morning as his disciples. Uh, John chapter 5, it, it narrates a healing story. And so before we get into the text, we want to hear a story uh, from one of our members. Uh, Heather Spinelli is a part of the worship team. You just heard her sing, and she has a wonderful story of what God has done in her life. In 2015, the Lord prompted a young gentleman by the name of Herman Sotanto to pray with me after the Good Friday service here at Willingdon Church um, for healing. I had never met him before, and he knew nothing of my health condition except to notice that I needed help walking across the stage and required a stool while I helped lead worship. These were some of the effects of relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis, a condition I had been diagnosed with since 1991. Herman asked me if I believed in prayer, and I told him that I did, and more specifically, I believed in the sovereignty of God. If it was his will, he would grant me healing. My friend Ken Francis joined us as we prayed to God, asking for healing and restoration. Afterwards, Herman asked me how I felt, and I told him truthfully that I felt no different. But I thanked him for praying, and then I cried all the way home in my car. Because you see, I had prayed for healing many, many times before. And I had resigned myself to the possibility that it was not God's intention to heal me of this condition. That is, until Herman got my hopes raised again. It hurt to have them come crashing down. One of my biggest fears has always been disability. My walk through this health condition has been an enormous refining process. And as I dove into the word... I sensed Jesus was asking me, what would you do if I chose not to heal you? Would you still believe in me? Would you still trust me? It felt like he was asking me to fall backwards into his arms and to trust that he would catch me, to trust his goodness, his steadfastness, his purpose. There was a considerable amount of wrestling with God But in the end, my response was, Lord, where would I go? You are my Savior and Lord. You have seen me through so much. So I surrendered my hopes and my fears once again to him. The very next day, I woke up, bounded down the stairs, only to realize that I had bounded down the stairs. (laughs) All my symptoms were gone like every last one of them. 
My balance returned, my strength and stamina returned, and I've been going strong, symptom-free for these past three and a half years. My last MRI showed a marked decrease in inflammation in the brain, and it has no explanation. MS is not a curable disease. So I know that God has bestowed his unmerited favor upon me, not only in my salvation, but by restoring my health and ability once again. I am so very thankful that when God prompted Herman to pray, he was obedient to the call. To God be the glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Heather. We pray. Father, we do thank you. We do give you the glory. We thank you that you drew Heather to yourself and that she's your daughter. And we also thank you for, by your grace, extending physical healing to her. Thank you for her desire to serve you, Lord. And may she continue to worship you with joy. Lord, You are our Savior, our Lord, our healer, our teacher. And so we ask in this moment that you teach us, Jesus, as you taught your first disciples. Your word is living and active. Lord, may we hear your word to us, and may we obey it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you, Heather. Thank you. We are in John chapter 5. What have we learned over the last number of weeks? Uh, first of all, in chapter 1, we, we learn that Jesus invites us to come and see, to be with him. That uh, Jesus, he has words of life for us, words of healing. He speaks personally to people. He speaks to Simon Peter, to Nathaniel, to Nicodemus, to the Samaritan woman. And so Jesus has personal words for us. At the wedding in Cana, we see that we really do not need religion at all. We need new life. Through the conversation with Nicodemus, we learn that we need to be born again, born of the Spirit. Through the conversation with the uh, Samaritan woman, we learn that Jesus has living water for us, water that will actually quench our thirst. Living water. And when that living water is in our hearts, well, then our hearts become a wellspring, a springing up, welling up to eternal life. That was John 4. At the end of John chapter 4, an an official from Capernaum, probably a Roman official, he comes to Jesus in Cana. And he comes to Jesus because his son is at the point of death and he pleads with Jesus, please come before my son dies. And Jesus says to him, go, your son will live. Immediately the fever leaves his son. From 25 kilometers away, Jesus has spoken words of life, words of healing, and instantly the son has been healed. Wow. And right after that, we read these words in chapter 5. After this, after the healing of that son, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. 
Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In, <clears throat> in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Jesus returns to Jerusalem from Galilee. He goes to attend a feast of the Jews. We're not sure which feast it was, but he walks into the northern section of Jerusalem, and there he encounters a multitude of people living with disabilities. The text describes them as the lame, the blind, and the paralyzed. They're lying under five-roofed colonnades, five-roofed pathways that surrounded the pools, that divided the pools. So they're resting under these roofs, and the complex itself is called Bethesda. It means house of mercy or house of flowing water because the pools were actually fed, are fed by an underground spring. Bethesda most likely also housed a shrine to a Roman and Greek god named Asclepius, the god of healing. And there was this popular belief around the pool of Bethesda that when an angel stirred the waters, then there would be healing in the water. And so the first person to enter the water would be healed. That was the popular religion. Not something taught by the Jews, but it was popular religion. Our text also says that the pool, the pool was near the sheep gate. The sheep gate was a small opening in the temple complex, and sheep would be ushered through the gate on their way to sacrifice. And some believe that the sheep were actually washed in the pools of Bethesda. So that would mean that those waters would be unclean. Not only were the waters unclean, but those lying around the pools were unclean. No ritually pure person would go near that place, but Jesus goes there. We find Jesus among the people that are longing for some kind of cure. What happens? John chapter 5, verse 5. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. The word invalid in the text there just means a person living with disabilities. And as the text says, there's a multitude, lame, blind, paralyzed. Jesus sees a man lying by the pool. He's been disabled for 38 years, longer than many people lived at that time. And Jesus just speaks words of life. He says, get up, pick up your bed, and walk. And instantly the man is made whole. Jesus, the resurrection of the life, he speaks words of healing. He speaks words of life, and the man is healed. Why does Jesus single out this man? There was a multitude around the pools. No reason for Jesus' choice is given other than what we read in verse 19. In verse 19, Jesus says this. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So what's Jesus saying there? He's saying, hey, the initiative has come from the Father. I'm equal to the Father, but I'm subordinate to the Father. The Father wanted to restore a man beside the pool, and so seeing what the Father was doing, I joined him, I obeyed, and I spoke words of healing. 
Healing happens when the Father wants it to happen. Healing happens when the Father wants it to happen. So, why did the Lord heal Heather? You just heard her story. Why did the Lord heal her on the day that he chose to heal her? We don't know. What we do know is that her healing was God's sovereign, gracious, loving hand over her life. Healing happens when the Father wants it to happen. Now, Jesus asked the man beside the pool a really curious question. Did you notice what Jesus asked him? Do you want to be healed? Why would Jesus ask that question? Do you want to become whole? Isn't the obvious answer yes? (laughs) You know, I've been here beside the pool for 38 years. Of course I want to be healed. Doesn't everybody want to be healed? Well, yes, but sometimes no. Why would I say that? Well, let's keep reading. uh, Verse 9, the end of verse 9. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. So just after the healing, Jesus meets the man again in the temple complex, just south of the pools of Bethesda. What does the way of healing look like for this man? I'll just give you the second point, and this is important. To walk in wholeness or in healing... He must walk in obedience to the Father. For us to walk in wholeness, to walk in healing, we must walk in obedience to the Father. Observe again how he responds to the question of Jesus. When Jesus asks him, do you want to be healed, what does he say? Verse 7, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. He doesn't have a friend to help him. Others are faster than he is. It's not that he offers an excuse, but he gives a pretty good reason. At least that's the way that we like to phrase it, right? It's not that I'm 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 making an excuse, but I have a really good reason why I don't get to the pool. If this man is going to now walk in healing, he needs to stop being the victim. He can't use this kind of language anymore. He needs to stop being the victim to, to actually walk in healing. Here's another example of that. In 1 Kings chapter 19, Queen Jezebel, she threatens Elijah with death. So Elijah, he runs away in fear. He goes into the wilderness. He's exhausted, so the Lord brings him food. He's strengthened, and he continues his journey. He goes all the way down into the Sinai Peninsula to Mount Horeb, another name for Mount Sinai, and he hides in a cave. Why? Well, because everyone has abandoned God, he's been threatened with death, he's the only one who is, in, who is faithful, so he might as well die. And the Lord comes to him in a low whisper there in the cave and says, Elijah, why are you here? 
So he goes through his reasons again. He's the only one. Everyone has abandoned God. He's the only one who's faithful. He might as well die. And the God, God gives him three things to do. He says, one, go anoint Hazael to be king of Syria. Secondly, go anoint Jehu to be king of Israel. And thirdly, go anoint Elisha to be prophet in your place. And by the way, there are 7,000 others who have not bowed the knee, the knee to Baal. You're not alone. He has to get up out of the cave and go do what the Lord has commanded him to do. The Lord instructs him. What does Jesus say to the man lying beside the pool? What does he instruct him to do? Get up, take up your bed, and walk. Jesus commands him to take action. He would have been on a mat made of straw. It could be rolled up. He's supposed to roll it up, put it on his shoulder, and walk. He must act on Jesus' word. So to walk in healing, he'll have to obey the word of the Lord. And if we want to walk in healing, we need to obey the word of the Lord. Not just on the day that we're healed, but as we walk through life. Naaman, he's a, a very successful commander of the Syrian army. Very successful, but one day he falls ill. He becomes a leper. He has working in his house a Jewish girl enslaved by the Syrians. She's a, the housekeeper, and she knows about Elisha. And so she says to Naaman, hey, there's a prophet in Israel that may help you. So Naaman, the Syrian commander, he gathers his chariots and horses, other men that go with him, and his entourage. They go all the way down to Elisha's house, and uh, there they are in front of uh, Elisha's house on the doorstep and Elisha doesn't even come out of the house. He just sends his messenger to Naaman with the word of the Lord. And the word for Naaman is go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored and you shall be clean. Naaman is enraged. What is Elisha thinking? I expected to come here the prophet would come out, he'd speak the word to me, and I'd be healed right here. Aren't the waters of Damascus much better than the waters of Israel? He's so angry, he turns and prepares to leave, and his servants come alongside him. It appears that there's a lot more that needs to be healed, healed in Naaman's life than leprosy. <laughs> Some of the pride needs to be healed. So his servants come to him and say, Naaman, Naaman, it's actually a good word. Why don't you try it? So Naaman goes to the river Jordan and he dips down seven times. And this is what we read in Scripture. And his flesh is restore, was restored like the flesh of a little child. Comes out smelling like baby powder. <laughs> the proud commander had to obey the word of the Lord. And so do we. In John chapter 5, the religious authorities, they come to the man that had been healed and they ask him, so who authorized you to carry your mat on the Sabbath? And when they come to him with that challenge, he doesn't respond, hey, I was healed. Could this be the Messiah? He just says, well, uh, the one who healed me, he told me to carry my mat he quickly shifts the blame from himself to the one who healed him. 
And as we read through the text, we realize that this man that was lying beside the pool for 38 years was actually not a man of outstanding character. When Jesus asks him a question, he offers an excuse. When the religious authorities come to him with a challenge, he shifts the blame over to the one who healed him. If he wants to walk in healing, he will have to stop the blame shifting. The blame shifting. This, of course, goes all the way back to Adam. Remember Adam? The Lord comes to him. Well, it's, it's the wife you gave me, Lord. Problem's over there. A few weeks ago, I told you the story of a man who had been suffering from abstinence syndrome in Brazil, and the prayer team came around him and prayed for him, and he was instantly healed. Instantly. And never drank again. Now, the curious thing about his life, the sad thing about his life, is that he never really stood up. When he went through personal struggles, when he went through relational struggles, when he went through financial struggles, it was always the fault of someone else. He was always the victim. He always shifted the blame. He never stood up. Jesus says to the man who was disabled, see, you're, you're actually well. You're well. His healing was complete, and so he must now own that new reality. He's no longer the poor victim lying beside the pool. He's no longer the beggar waiting for some donation, some handout. He can actually stand up, walk, and take care of himself. And if he's going to walk in healing, he will need to own his wholeness. And if you are to walk in healing, you need to own your wholeness, the healing that God has worked in your life. And then Jesus says this, Sin no more, verse 14, that nothing worse may happen to you. Why does the Lord say that? Sin no more. At some level, all sickness on earth is the result of sin. It's the consequence of the fall. All of life has been impacted by sin. Now, Not all illness is caused by specific sin. Why do I say that? John chapter 9. Jesus and his disciples, they encounter a man born blind. John chapter 9, verse 2. And his disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, this is a really important point. Listen. When we make a direct link between physical illness and sin, then we'll come to believe that our healing depends on our repentance. If we just repent enough, then we'll be healed. If if we're able to remember all of our sins and repent of all of them, then we'll be healed because our illness is directly tied to our sin. And so people will spend all kinds of time canvassing their lives, trying to discover some sin that they haven't repented for. Our healing does not ultimately depend on our repentance, but on God's sovereign hand. Healing happens when the Father wants it to happen. Another thing that is sometimes taught is that if we just exercise enough faith, then we'll be healed. So I've heard this teaching people that are ill. And some will come, well-meaning people will come to them, well, if you just exercise enough faith, 
you'll be healed. Your healing depends on your faith. So it's faith in faith, not faith in the sovereignty of God, not faith in the healing of God. And it's a very dangerous place to be. I've even seen instances where uh, people that want to pray and aren't sure where their healing will happen, well, they're not allowed into the healing circle because only those who truly believe in healing are allowed to pray. Dangerous, dangerous place to go. Our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is in God. He is our healer. Now, having said this, in Scripture, some illnesses are seen as the direct consequence of specific sins. So if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29, we read, Paul writes, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. So the unavoidable implication of what Paul is saying there is that in some instances, our illness is the direct result of sin. And that's what we read in John chapter 5 as well. As I said earlier, the man beside the pool, he's not a man of outstanding character. Jesus comes with a question, he throws an excuse. Uh, The religious authorities challenge him for walking on the Sabbath. He blames the one who healed him. Did you notice that when he is healed, he didn't praise Jesus? Notice that he didn't say, Jesus, you must be the Messiah. In John chapter 9, the man born blind, when he's healed, he praises Jesus, he worships Jesus, he's willing to be considered an outcast for the sake of Jesus. When Jesus comes and warns him and says, sin no more, what does he do right after that? He goes to the religious authorities and says, hey, it was Jesus. See, there's an urgency in Jesus' command when he says, sin no more. There must be some pattern of sin that he needs to break. So if he wants to walk in healing, he needs to stop the sinning. Stop the sinning. One commentator says he's an example of going nowhere in faith, nowhere in discipleship. Let me give you an example from my own life. In November of 2009, um, I came back to Canada from the Democratic Republic of Congo. And when I came back, I knew that I wasn't feeling very well. But I was stubborn, so I didn't go to the doctor, just kept on working. I lost weight. I, I lost energy. And as we went into the Christmas season, people would say to me, Ray, you don't look very well. You look sick. And I would say, well, thank you for the compliment. So I was, I was losing weight, I was getting really skinny, and finally in January, I relented, I went to the doctor. Did some blood tests, x-rays, ultrasounds, and I got this diagnosis. Uh, Ray, you have kidney stones, you have three kinds of parasites, and you have allergies. Thank you very much, what a great gift. Wonderful diagnosis. Didn't know I had all those wonderful things here inside of me. And so healing would demand a change in lifestyle, (laughs) a change in diet. The day after going to the doctor, I read John chapter 5, and that question that he asked the man lying by beside the pool just (laughs) pierced my soul. Ray, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? What would it mean for me? Well, physically, I had to make some changes. I had to change my diet. No more sugar, no more wheat, No more dairy. So that takes a lot of things off the table, but it leaves you with fruit and vegetables and rice and meat. Really good stuff. 
which I love. And regular exercise and some rest, take a Sabbath, slow down the pace of life. Spiritually, I needed to make some changes. I needed to rediscover my first affection, my first love, Jesus. I needed to immerse myself in the scriptures, slow down, spend time in prayer, spend time in meditation on the word of God and just allow the the word of God to bathe me. I needed to drink from the living water of Jesus. Rediscover the joy Relationally, I had to make some changes. I needed to disconnect from my smartphone and see the people around me. So one of the clear words of the Lord for me was, you are Judy's only husband. Wow, what a revelation. But sometimes we need to hear that. Like you are actually Judy's only husband. You are your daughter's only father. You know, when we're working really hard, we're really busy, life is just kind of throw up this prayer to God, God, in your mercy, please care for my children because I've got far too much work to do. You are your daughter's only father and don't miss your aging parents. So I had to make some changes. I had to create some boundaries. I was doing something called global program and people would jokingly say to me at work, Ray, you carry the world on your shoulders. Jokingly, right? But at some level, it was becoming true for me. I was starting to carry things in a way that I shouldn't. I was overburdened. I was beginning to think that some things actually depended on my work, that I needed to hold it together. And if you would have asked me, you know, before I actually woke up, before the Holy Spirit started to really speak to me about my sin, I would have just said, well, it's because those people out there are putting all of this work on my desk. I'm actually a victim. It's not my fault. It's their fault. And the Lord was asking me, do you want to be healed? You know, when we think that things depend on us, when we think that we have to hold it together, we're actually in a place of unbelief. That's the root of it. We're not trusting God to be God. We've placed ourselves in his place. We're trying to play his role. He's the only one who's sovereign. He's the only one that can hold it together. All things depend on him, not on us. And I had to repent for sin. And if I wanted to be healed, I needed to stop the sinning. The word that Jesus uses for sin here is miss the mark. I was missing the mark. I was not joining Jesus in what he was doing. I was not entering into his joy. So what areas, what areas of your life need to be healed? You know, before the Lord, you are completely known. Your thoughts, your motivations your patterns, your schedule, the way that you relate to people, your eating habits. The Lord knows it all. (laughs) So what areas of your heart or your life need to be healed? And do you want to be healed? On a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you want to be healed? You see, quite often we want divine healing, but we don't want the discipline of walking in healing. We don't want that hard work. We want deliverance from our pain, but we don't really want discipleship because that involves change. 
One of the things that's so prevalent in our society is sexual addiction among men and women. Now, in order to be healed of sexual addiction, you actually need to be transparent and humble. You need an accountability group. It's not just a matter of turning off the internet. You actually need to change in the way that you think. A profound work of the Holy Spirit needs to happen in your life. So how much do you want to be healed? There's a wonderful ministry here at church called Pure Desire. It's a gift of God. And I pray that all that want to be healed would truly do the work that needs to be done in order to be healed so that we might be set free and truly follow Jesus and do the things that he has called us to do. Because when we're suffering from sexual addiction, we're taken out at the knees. We live our lives saying, well, who am I to actually serve God because I have this sin? The Lord would have us be free. Amen? We can miss the healing work of the Father because of our sin and also because of our theology. And you say, well, why, why would you say that? Well, in chapters 5 through 10, it's interesting to see how the controversy around Jesus escalates and the religious leaders, they want to eliminate him. Why? Well, Jesus healed the disabled man on the Sabbath. Jesus has this habit of doing good things on the Sabbath, and it drives the religious leaders crazy. The Sabbath is really important to them. God established the Sabbath at creation. The Sabbath, it was the fourth of the Ten Commandments. The Sabbath really mattered. Now, when Jesus healed people on the Sabbath, did he break the Sabbath? No. But the theologians of that time, they had entered into this debate about what God could and, and couldn't do. And they had added hundreds of minutely detailed and burdensome rules about what kind of work could be uh, prohibited or not prohibited on the Sabbath. And these rules, they included a code that a person was not to carry an object from one domain to another on the Sabbath. So when the man who has been healed picks up his mat and carries it. He's breaking their rule. And when they learn that Jesus actually healed them on, healed them on the Sabbath and enabled him to do it, they are even more upset with Jesus. And how does Jesus answer? Verse 16. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus says, The father's working, and so I'm working. So wait a minute, can God work on the Sabbath? This was actually a matter of debate among the theologians. You see, if God actually rested from his work on the Sabbath, then the, the, the universe would cease to exist. Someone had to be holding it all together, sustaining it. So the Jewish rabbis, they agreed that God continually upholds the universe yet without breaking the Sabbath. How can he do that? Well, he, he fills the universe. Uh, the whole universe is his domain. And so, you know, God cannot be accused of carrying something from one domain to another. And not only that, he will never lift something above his own stature. Absolutely insane. 
But that was the theological debate that raged. This is an example of putting God into our box. We build something and then God has to fit within it somehow. And we'll actually have a conversation about how we fit God in. And Jesus just bypasses it. And verse 19, he says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So Jesus says, hey, the Father, the one you permit to work, (laughs) he wanted to work healing here on the Sabbath. I saw what the Father was doing and I just joined him. That's why I prayed or spoke healing over him. If it's good for the Father to do it, it's good for me to do it. In chapters 5 through 10, the, 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 the debate goes crazy. And there's some really good news in these chapters. Jesus says to the religious leaders, Hey, um, God is speaking to you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's good news. He's speaking. God is speaking to you through the scriptures, especially through Moses. John the Baptist has come with a witness, and so he has spoken under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And not only that, there are the signs that I do. And so God is speaking. The question is, will you see and will you listen? Now, the bad news is that they don't want to see and they don't want to listen because Jesus just doesn't fit into their theological framework. And their heart condition, they're proud. They want the glory. And so they don't see and they don't listen. On this day beside the pool, the father wanted to heal a man who had been disabled for 38 years. That was the heart of the father. And Jesus, out of love for the father and out of love for that man, spoke healing to him. All that Jesus did, he did under the leadership and guidance of the Father. He's our example. We are to submit to Jesus as Jesus submitted to the Father. Jesus says in John 15, verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But he also says in John 14, verse 14, if you ask anything in my name, anything according to my character, according to my will, I will Do it. So how do we apply this to our lives? Well, we walk in healing by submitting to Jesus the way that he submitted to the Father. He's our example. Secondly, we walk in healing by staying in step with the healing work of the Holy Spirit. By staying in step. And sometimes staying in step will be doing the things that we've listed under point two. We have to stop being the victim. We need to stop the blame shifting. We need to obey the word of the Lord. We need to own our wholeness. And if we are sinning, stop. So stay in step with the healing work of the Spirit and then seize the opportunities to exercise our faith. So Jesus sends us out to proclaim the gospel. He also sends us out to pray for others. We read in Hebrews chapter 11 that without faith it is impossible to please him. We must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Sometimes we're afraid to pray for a physical healing because, okay, what if, what if the person's not healed? What then? Don't worry about it. God can take care of his reputation. You know, when we share our faith, when we explain the gospel to somebody, to another person, people don't receive the gospel every time that we proclaim it. 
And in the same way, people aren't healed every time that we pray. But if we don't pray with faith, then for sure we will never see anyone healed. People may be healed, but we won't be able to join God in what he's doing. Let me tell you a story from, I'll close with this. Last year, um, Saturday night, a woman came forward for prayer. Uh, She'd been diagnosed with cancer. And so a member of our prayer team just sensed from the Holy Spirit that she was to pray for her boldly that those cancerous tumors would disappear. The following week, she went to the doctor, underwent exams again. No cancerous tumors, gone. Now, if you never pray boldly in Jesus' name, you'll never have the joy of being a part of that kind of story. Healing happens when the Father wants it to happen. That's one side of the truth. The other side is that God invites us to join him in what he's doing. He invites us to proclaim the gospel. He invites us to pray for the healing of others. So as you go through the week, you may meet people in the grocery store or in your office or on the street, and the Lord will prompt you to pray. So as you go through the week, ask the question, Father, what are you doing in my life, in the lives of those around me this week? How would you have me pray? And I pray that you will have the joy of praying with faith in our good Father, in the powerful name of Jesus, and you will pray healing over those you encounter and allow God to do his work. Amen? I'm a little deaf. I need healing. Did I hear amen? Amen. Amen. (laughs) Thank you. Bless you. Let's, let's stand for, for prayer. Remember, we don't pray in faith with faith in our faith. We pray with faith in Jesus. And uh, so we're going to pray two prayers. One for those of you who may be here and uh, you've maybe been uh, walking with some friends here at the church or you've come to Willingdon and you've heard the word a number of times, and you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus. Maybe you're hearing it for the first time today. Do you know that you need forgiveness? You know that you need new life? You know that you need a change? You know that you need healing, and you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus? If that's you, then I'd ask you to pray with me. The prayer will be posted on the screen behind me. Please pray with me. Jesus, thank you for the invitation to know you. Please forgive me for leading my own life separate from you. Thank you for dying on the cross and paying the price for all my sin. I repent and surrender my whole life to you. I turn to you for forgiveness and new life. Jesus, lead me from this day forward. Fill me with your spirit. Set me free. Make me into the kind of person you created me to be. I want to be like you. Father, thank you for adopting me into your family and gifting me with eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And if you prayed that today, then I'd ask you to go to the I Said Yes 
banner in the lobby. We'd love to encourage you on your journey with Jesus. And now a prayer for all of us. Lord, we're your disciples. We're your sons and daughters. We thank you, Father, for your goodness, your steadfast love, your faithfulness, even when we're not. And Lord, you have worked healing in our lives, and you invite us to walk in healing. So may we walk in obedience to you, Father. Uh, God, may we not put ourselves in the place of a victim or shift the blame when when we have sinned. God, may we obey your word. May we stop the sinning if that's what we need to do. May we own the healing that you have worked in our lives. And Father, if in some way our thoughts about you block us, hinder us, keep keep us from embracing all that you have for us, Lord, then I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would open our minds and hearts and that we would understand and that we would obey you, that we would exercise our faith in you, that we would seize the opportunities that are, will be before us today and in the coming week. Lord, may we stay in step with the healing work of your Holy Spirit and walk in submission to you for your glory, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great weekend.